2: Welcome to Fruit Loops Season 2, Episode 18. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white dudes. No. There are many well documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because, well, the news is racist, allegedly.
1: Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod.
2: That's right. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the cash app, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me slash dollar sign fruit Loose pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our pod bean patron page. Or if you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five star review on iTunes. It really does help or anywhere else you get your podcasts. And be sure to share our podcast with your friends. So, uh, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today, uh, we're talking about
1: uh, Rodney James Alcala. This is a two-parter, and this is the Mm. second part. Uh, He is also known as the dating game killer, and Alcala is an American convicted rapist and serial killer. He was convicted of killing seven women and girls, but his true crime victim count remains unknown and could be much higher. Mm. So...
2: How you doing?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a whole lot to report today about myself. I'm doing fine, but I just don't have anything exciting going on. Uh, But I did Mm. want to mention, and here I'll get into some of the background stuff about how we create the podcast. Uh, When we do a two-parter, we usually decide to split it up when it just starts getting too long for one episode. So the Mm -hmm. research has been done, and the information is written up. It just got really long, so we split it. So this week, uh, since I didn't have to work on that, because it was already done, I did Mm -hmm. some preliminary research on, on our next episode. But I also had some extra time to work on some merchandise. So... We opened up a tea Public merch shop, Woo! which you can find uh, on our website. <laughs> and also I'll put a link in the show notes. Or you can just Google Fruit Loops podcast merchandise and it should come up for you.
2: Very, very exciting stuff. Thank you so much for taking care of that for us, Beth. Sure. Um, thanks. To everybody who's been supporting the show up to today. Oh and, yeah. Uh yeah, no, we're 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 really uh grateful. Very um very grateful. Yeah. Me, uh this weekend was just a very chill weekend. Uh actually my husband called it mom appreciation weekend. Uh All right. I was at my wits' end. <laughs> and <laughs> so I <laughs> I I always thought that I wasn't a person who enjoyed sleep, mostly because I never got very much of it. And Turns out, I really like sleep. Yeah, sleep is good. <laughs> oh my god!
1: Friday <laughs> night,
2: Saturday night, last night, I slept almost twelve hours each night. Oh my god! I feel like a million bucks. So wow. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Hey. Shout out to Old Whitey. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I Drop you your horn for Old Whitey. Um, so now we are going to get into our listener letters. Let's see what we got in our mailbag. <laughs> the angels brought the mail.
1: Yay. All right. So what do we got, Beth? so we got a message from parker on facebook just catching up on the latest episode and i have to say first love y'all's podcast and second it's great to hear the new the new orleans culture is strong and reaches all over i'm from louisiana and i've been to that strip club wendy mentioned in new orleans (laughs) and she's not lying (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, keep, I love. That.
1: <laughs> keep it up because this is my favorite podcast and the only one I religiously listen to. Now that's really awesome. Oh, wow. Thank you so Thank much, you. Parker. Thank you.
2: High pop air horns to you, Parker. Yeah. Yes.
1: And then this was from Jermaine on Facebook. I love you, this podcast, okay. and you guys are so funny. But I have to tell you uh, that I have a fever, and the only remedy for it is more hip hop air horn.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> Rock and roll, girls. <laughs> well, guess what we're getting? Dr. Feel Good here it comes. <laughs> You deserve, it. yeah,
1: definitely. And then from Esther on Facebook, she said, "Oh my God, you ladies took an idea right out of my mind." <laughs> Sorry about that. I hope it didn't hurt. <laughs> Just found you today, and I can't wait to binge and join the discussion. So excited, and we're excited too, Esther. Thank oh, you.
2: Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, All right. Well, uh, Kimberly on Facebook, thank you so much, reached out and said, I love this podcast so much. Wendy and Beth, y'all are the (laughs) shit. Thank you so much. Also, Leah on Facebook said, I love you guys so much. The podcast is awesome. I've binged everything in the last two weeks. Holy moly, thank you. (laughs) All right. So uh, now we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into the story when we come back. We would like to invite any listeners who have a business to advertise to do it with us. For more information, please email us at fruitloopspod at gmail.com Or check out our website at fruitloopspod.com. All right. Uh, So, Beth, who are we talking about today? This is part two of Rodney Alcala,
1: a Mexican-American man who became known as the dating game killer because of his appearance on the TV matchmaking show. Guess what? The dating game (laughs) while in the middle of his killing spree. Whee! (laughs) (laughs) So if you haven't listened to part one, go on back and listen to that and we'll be waiting for
2: you right here. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, we're gonna start with uh the investigation and arrest. We just finished the timeline in part one. So if you're tuning into part two, you finished part one. Let's talk about the investigation and arrest. So hit it,
1: Beth. Uh Robin Samso was the girl at the beach that uh rode a bike to ballet class and then disappeared somewhere in between the beach. And uh, the ballet class witnesses who saw the man approaching (laughs) girls at the beach that day uh, helped the police create a composite sketch of the man, and police released it to the public. Alcala's former parole officer recognized the face and notified police. And on July 24th, 1979, Rodney James Alcala, an unemployed photographer, was arrested at his mother's Monterey Park home.
2: Mm, Okay. Uh, Alcala had made plans to move to Washington state, but had only got as far as renting a storage unit in Seattle and moving his belongings up there. Police learned of the storage unit in Seattle and searched it. There, they found hundreds of pornographic photos of women, girls, and teenage boys. They also found a little silk bag containing jewelry. Among that jewelry was a pair of earrings that Robin Samso's mother recognized as hers. So between the sketch,
1: Alcala's pattern of conduct, meaning his criminal past, photos taken by Alcala around Huntington Beach at the time of Samso's disappearance, um, which I assume they found in that storage unit. Um, and the discovery of Samso's earrings, uh, police felt confident that they had their man.
2: So uh, they got him. So now we're going to get into Alcala's trial. Um, prosecutor said that Alcala liked toying with his victims, strangling them unconscious, then waiting for them to come to before killing them. He liked to torture, rape and murder, then steal the victim's earrings. And interestingly, not one of his victims was found with any earrings in their ears. Yeah. And we
1: really couldn't find a whole lot about that first trial, um, except for that information. Um, All we know is that Mm -hmm. on June 20th, 1980, Orange County Superior Court Judge Philip E. Schwab sentenced Alcala to death after he was convicted of Robin Samso's murder. At his sentencing, the relatives of his victims stared down at an expressionless Alcala, I know where my little Robin is now, and that's in heaven, said Samso's mother, Marianne Connolly. She never again has to face the defendant because he is the devil's own, and I hope and believe he will rot in hell.
2: Her sentiments are understandable. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then... In September 1980, Alcala was convicted of the 1979 rape of a 15-year-old uh, Monique Hoyt and sentenced to nine years in state prison. And on July 11, 1980, the Los Angeles County District Attorney Office filed murder, burglary, and sexual assault charges against Alcala in the slang of Parenteau, uh, a victim we discussed in the last episode. But on uh, April 15th,
1: 1981, the L.A. District Attorney's Office told a judge that prosecution of Alcala in the Parenteau case could not proceed because a key witness admitted that he had committed perjury in another case.
2: Which fucking sucks because uh, this, this saga of trial for this guy goes on for so much longer forever yeah. than, than it needs to forever yeah. so yeah. here's another here's another bump in the road <laughs> so on uh, august 23rd 1984 the california supreme court overturned alcala's verdict in samso's murder due to the jury being prejudiced they felt by learning of alcala's past sex crimes it took six years put him back on trial and although he did spend that time in jail because of the conviction in uh, Hoyt's rape.
1: Yeah. So thank goodness he, uh, he did not get out. Uh, he was still in jail. And yeah. his next trial was in 1986, uh, again, for Robin Samso's murder. And on June 20th, 1986, Alcala was again convicted for Samso's murder and again sentenced to death in Orange County Superior Court. And on December 31st, 1992, the California Supreme Court unanimously upheld Alcala's death sentence.
2: Hey, okay. Uh, But on April 2nd, 2001, a federal appellate court overturned Alcala's death sentence in the Samso case, ruling that the Superior Court judge precluded the defense from presenting evidence material to quote unquote Significant issues, in part because the second trial judge did not allow a witness to back up the defense's claim that the park ranger who found Robin Samso's animal ravaged body in the mountains had been hypnotized by police investigators.
1: Yeah, and I tried to find a little more information about that, but I I didn't see anything about it. (laughs) what that (laughs) being hypnotized by police investigators. I don't know what that means.
2: I... Well, I, I I mean I I have no idea what that means.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um but apparently Dana Crapp, who was the Park Ranger, what a name.
2: Dana what crap. an unfortunate <laughs> last name! Yeah, yeah. Dana, Dana Craps here. Great. Yeah. Oh, great! It's the crap. <laughs> it's the craps.
1: <laughs> so she was the park ranger who found uh, Robin's body and had seen them going up the, into the bushes. Um, and mm-hmm. she w- was apparently a very problematic witness. Um, she was mm. described by some as being a little bit out there. And she had given different testimony in the different trials. Uh In the first trial, she described seeing a man leading a girl into the bushes at the park. But then at the second trial, she claimed to have amnesia and couldn't remember this incident. So I was wondering if maybe the the police tried to hypnotize her to get her to remember or something like that.
2: Oh, interesting. Interesting. But Um, I don't really
1: know. I'm just speculating.
2: Yeah. And there's a lot of behind the scene, really terrible, shady things that happen um, before cases go to trial. And even when they're on trial, like trial's a show. uh, Trial, (laughs) we say in my line of work, it's um, a performance of what happened. It's not really what happened. So um, who knows what they did or said to her and and why why that turned out to be the way it was. So, yeah. Um. Anyway, in 2002, Alcala was forced to provide a DNA sample to authorities. He had fought it for years. The DNA matched DNA from Barcomb and Wickstead, two previous victims. And on June 5th, 2003, the L.A. County District Attorney's Office filed murder charges against Alcala, alleging that he killed Wixt during a burglary and rape. And in 2004... There were more cases linked to Lamb and Parenteau.
1: DNA on the post of an earring found in the pouch in Alcala's storage unit was linked to Charlotte Lamb. Furthermore, another link in the Wixted, Barcombe, and Parenteau murders is that they had all been posed after their murders as if for post-mortem photographs. Mm. on september nineteenth two thousand and five additional murder charges are filed against Alcala in connection to the deaths of Barcombe, Wickstead, and Lamb
2: Robin's mother said during a press conference during this time that she now recognized that if Alcala had been executed soon after his first death sentence, the other victims' families might never have known who killed them. She said she she said the new charges might allow the families to get quote unquote some closure. Uh, she said, I'm saying that strictly to be noble, I'm sure. She said, I just wish he was gone. Yeah, I
1: can't blame her. Mm-hmm. Finally, in 2010, 31 years after Robin Samso's murder, on January wow. 11th, a third trial was held. Just before the Mm -hmm. trial, Orange County Senior Deputy District Attorney. Wow, that's a mouthful. Matt Murphy.
2: (laughs) You nailed it. (laughs) Say that 10 times fast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to do that, but you nailed it.
1: (laughs) So that guy, (laughs) he told LA Weekly, uh, the 70s in California was insane as far as treatment of sexual predators. Rodney Alcala is a poster boy for this. It's a total comedy of outrageous stupidity.
2: (laughs) I could not agree more. <laughs> I, I, I mean, most of these cases where the, the the killers are very prolific. I mean, this is this is their playing ground. The seventies, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Seventies yeah, and, and age when we didn't have these ad- advancements in terms of profiling, investigating DNA, all that stuff. Um. So yeah, this was yeah. the
1: serial killer's heyday for sure.
2: It really was. It really was. Um, So stay tuned. Fruit Loops will be covering more. (laughs) Um, During the years he spent incarcerated, Alcala self-published a book called You, The Jury, in which he proclaimed his innocence in the Samso case he hotly contested the DNA swabs done on prisoners periodically for the police department's evidence bank. Alcala also brought two lawsuits against the California penal system. One for a slip and fall accident. Okay. And another for the prison's refusal to provide, provide him with a low fat menu. All right. Well, prisons need a lot of changes to be made, but I don't, I, I wouldn't start there. No.
1: <laughs> yeah, lo- what, what's that uh loaf that um arpaio used to feed the prisoners
2: oh bologna sandwiches
1: B- bologna sandwiches but there was also some kind of loaf that he served oh. them it was this i'm not familiar with you don't know about this yeah was, no all i know
2: is the bologna sandwiches and the pink underwear yeah <laughs> <laughs> There's some
1: kind of disgusting loaf that they made that um it was like a high calorie loaf of garbage that they fed to the oh. prisoners.
2: Oh no. So <laughs> So yeah. I, like crazy me. I I heard the news about the prisoners getting bologna sandwiches and look, I'm gonna be honest, bologna sandwich is my favorite kind of sandwich. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, it is my truth. I can't deny who I am. And so, like, for a second, I was, like, turned my head to the side, like, is it that bad? <laughs> Intensity with... And I and I also love pink. <laughs> I do love pink underwear. Yeah, yeah, pink underwear. Uh,
1: it was the men <laughs> that he was trying to sh- shame with the pink underwear. But um, I don't think it was the bologna sandwiches so much as it... Uh, the, the baloney itself was bad. Like, um, it was going bad.
2: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I'm not pro any prison or jail system. I think they all need to go and uh, a black woman needs to be in charge of building them back up again. But, uh, I just, you know, that was one of the complaints when, when all those lawsuits were coming at Joe Arpaio from, for, for, uh, from, All angles. Prisoners dying in his tent cities and uh, in his jails and et cetera, et cetera. And all the I mean, his greatest hits is the opposite of greatest hits. But uh, I just kept hearing, how dare they give the bologna sandwiches? And I was like... (laughs) I'm over but here like a bologna favorite. sandwich advocate. You like, yeah, like bologna sandwiches are are good. So I'm. Can you guys talk about the other bad stuff? Bologna sandwiches are not that bad. <laughs> anyway, I'm being insensitive. Yeah, I just, so <laughs> I
1: just googled it, and it's called Neutraloaf, Loaf.
2: Okay, yeah. not interested. That's worthy of a hunger strike.
1: Yeah. And it says prison loaf is usually bland, perhaps even unpleasant. But prison wardens argue that Nutri-Loaf provides enough nutrition to keep prisoners healthy without requiring utensils.
2: (laughs) Oh, okay. You know what? You know what? Another thing I I was thinking about is so like Michael Cohen is going to jail. Right. But he's not going to the right. He's not going to the prison that like. Most regular people are going to. He's going He's to like going to the Martha Stewart prison, prison. <laughs> uh huh. But if more straight Christian white males ended up in prisons like all the ones that the pe- poor people of colors ended up in, eating Nutri Loaf and green bologna, yeah, yeah, there'd be some quick reform, there'd be some quick ass reform. <laughs> I mean, people would be rushing to their congressmen and senators' offices to make <laughs> some changes, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway.
1: <laughs> All right. So, how did we get there? Oh, his low-fat menu. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alcala <laughs> announced, to much surprise, uh, that he would be his own lawyer in his third trial, even though now, Ooh. 31 years after Samso's murder, investigators also had concrete evidence against him on four different murders from decades past, thanks to the prison's DNA swabs. The prosecution was able to combine these new murder charges along with Robin Samso in the 2010 trial.
2: Well, that's a win
1: for the prosecution. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, During the 2010 trial, jurors were in for a bizarre ride, to say the least. Uh, Rodney Alcala, acting as his own attorney, asked himself questions, referring to himself as, Mr. Alcala, in a deep voice, <laughs> which he would then answer in a regular voice. Uh, <laughs> the peculiar question and answer session continued for five hours. Uh, Alcala was also allowed to question the witnesses, which must have been excruciating for them. According to Jill Parento's friend Nancy, he held particular animosity towards Robin Samso's mother, which uh, he was not able to hide during his questioning of her. Um, Juries don't like that. (laughs) No, no. So what he told the
1: jury was that he was at Knott's Berry Farm at the time of Samso's murder. Uh, He played dumb on the other charges, and he used an Arlo Guthrie song as part of his closing argument. The song was Mm. Alice's Restaurant, which was written during the Vietnam War. Alice's Restaurant Mm -hmm. is a song, but it's also an 18-minute comedy bit, which takes up a full side of a vinyl record. It tells a story about how Arlo Guthrie was arrested for dumping trash, which later leads to him being rejected by the draft board due to his criminal record of littering.
2: I so I wasn't familiar with this, but I did hear it during the documentary and it sounded like um, garbage, (laughs) Uh, like screaming nonsense. I don't know. Have you heard? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. It was like an old standby when I was (laughs) when I was growing up. Everybody listened to it. It's uh, really really funny. Oh, yeah. It's really funny.
2: (laughs) I, oh, I did, I did not get that impression because I'd never heard of it before. I'd never heard it before, but it just sounded like, um, just nonsense. (laughs) And uh, well, that's because they only
1: played like the one part that, um, Alcala played. And as we get into a little bit more, you'll see.
2: Okay. So you say it's funny. uh, Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. As a whole, it's funny. Yeah. (laughs) okay okay i guess <laughs> see i should have done more research <laughs> uh i just i just went with okay what I so the here's, I never... here's the ref- here's the
1: refrain okay you can <laughs> get anything you want at alice's restaurant except an alice oh <laughs> you can cute. get anything you want At Alice's restaurant, just a walk right in. it's around the back. Just a half a mile to the railroad track. You can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant.
2: (laughs) So that's the refrain. I am am now at peace. Thank you. Uh, I did not get that from the documentary.
1: (laughs) He plays a guitar. It's just him singing and playing a guitar. And that's all it is. And he just tells a story. And and that's the refrain. It comes back over and over again. And uh, yeah,
2: that's it. Oh, my. Okay. Well, (laughs) see, it's good to get different perspectives because I thought it was crazy nonsense. (laughs) But uh, thank you. Thank you. No, I I, I didn't know that people like enjoyed it. Uh, and it was there. There's there's plus. It's pl. It sounds pleasant. Look, Beth, you can sing that to me all night. Okay, uh, <laughs> we don't need to do the rest of the episode. Just keep going. Yeah, just keep um, <laughs> um <laughs> The part that um, Alcala played was when Guthrie presented for his physical exam for the draft. He decides to pretend that he is really into killing, which he thinks will get him disqualified. He says things like, I want to kill. I want to eat dead, burnt bodies, veins in my teeth. Kill, kill, kill. Yeah, that's what I heard. That's what you heard, And yeah. instead of, uh, and yes, instead of being uh, a waiver for the draft, they exclaim, you're our boy. But <laughs> what finally gets him to the waiver is the fact that he'd been arrested for littering. Littering, <laughs> yeah. so <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> All right. So
1: that's that's why it's funny. See.
2: Yes. Now I get it. Now
1: I oh, get man, it. Yeah. I'm so glad we had
2: this talk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that, like, like you mentioned, that's the part that he played for the jury, talking about <laughs> how he wants to kill. <laughs> yeah, uh, it sounded great yeah and talking about wanting to kill in kind of heinous ways um Uh so i I think what he was attempting to do was insinuate that if the jury gave him the death penalty that they all would be killers too Uh, but if so it backfired (laughs) i don't think he really cared though because he was having a great time
2: oh you think he was having fun at the trial
1: oh yeah he was having
2: a great time yeah um robert samso robin samso's brother walked out of the court when alcala played that ridiculous ass song he said <laughs> that he wanted to wring alcala's neck and if he had to listen to any more he would go nuts he further said that alice's restaurant was his father-in-law's favorite song ouch and that it was ruined for him and he never wanted to hear it again understandable
1: of the other four murders of barcom Wixted lamb and toe, Alcala spent little time on those, simply stating that he didn't remember killing him. The only other oh. witness for the defense, psychologist Richard Rapaport, offered the explanation that Alcala's memory lapse could be equated to his personality disorder. The jury, not surprisingly, found Alcala guilty of the four DNA-backed charges and also found him guilty of killing Robin
2: Samso. Well, that's good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Um, A surprise witness at his sentencing was Tali Shapiro. Remember the little eight-year-old girl Alcala had raped and beaten within an inch of her life about 40 years before. Shapiro was there to witness as justice for Robin Samso, who was 12. Jill Barcombe, 18. Georgia Wickstead, 27, Charlotte Lamb, 31, and Jill Parenteau, 21, had finally been achieved. On March 9th, 2010, the court handed Alcala the death penalty for the third time. How many more times do we need, fool? <laughs> In April of
1: 2010, the Huntington Beach Police Department made public 120 of Alcala's photographs in an effort to identify some of the women and determine if any could be additional victims. In the first few weeks, approximately 20 women came forward to identify themselves.
2: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, and that's the first time I heard about this guy. Was when uh, okay? So they made those photographs 2010. public. Two thousand and ten. Yeah. Okay.
2: Were you into it? Were you like looking through to see if you knew anybody? Or...
1: I, well, I did. I did look through them. Yeah, um, I mm-hmm. was pretty sure I wouldn't know anybody because it was a long time ago. You know, mm-hmm. I was a kid. So, mm-hmm. um, but I did look at the pictures and and I remember seeing uh, Forty Eight Hours or Dateline or one of those shows. I I used to watch those all the time.
2: Mm-hmm. back
1: mm-hmm. back in mm-hmm. the day Oh yes Religiously,
2: yes, I am aware that you used to watch those shows all the time, religiously. <laughs> um. So, anyway, so yeah, I I'm aware that you you've been into this for a while, a long uh, time. But uh, <laughs> uh, so then in December 2013, while still on death row in California for the murders of four women and a girl, Alcala pled guilty to the 1971 murder of Cornelia and the 1977 murder of Ellen Hover, both in New York. Now, if you'll recall, Alcala raped and strangled Crilly, a 23-year-old TWA flight attendant, inside her Upper East Side apartment in 1971. And six years later, he killed Hover, also 23, and living in Manhattan. Her body was found in Westchester County, not far from her family's estate.
1: New York Supreme Court Judge Bonnie Whitner handed down a sentence of 25 years to life in prison. This kind of case is something I've never experienced and hope to never again. I just want to say I hope these families find some peace and solace for these inexplicably brutal and horrific acts, Whitner said. She then dissolved into tears. As I said, in 30 years, I've never had a case like this. That's pretty profound. Yeah, a judge crying.
2: Yeah, that's pretty poignant. Mhm mhm Many in attendance at the sentencing wore stickers bearing the black and white photograph that initially appeared in stories about Crilly's death. Cornelia always in our hearts, the stickers read. Crilly's sister, Katie Stiggle, spoke to the court, using most of her time talking about her sister who was in her prime and wouldn't hurt anybody. But Stiggle also had words for Alcala. She said, Mr. Alcala, I want you to know you broke my parents' hearts, she said. They never really recovered. Hover's stepsisters declined
1: to appear in court. Instead, Prosecutor Alex Spiro read a letter on their behalf. Ellen was a sweet, kind, generous, compassionate, loving, and beautiful young woman. She chose to see the good in everyone she met because she had a huge and open heart, the letter read. Her senseless murder irreparably damaged our family. And it's true, these crimes are not only against the uh, the actual victim, but the, the families become victims, too, yep. and tear them apart.
2: Absolutely. We say that in every episode. They're left yeah. in the wake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're left in the wake. Um, and normally we talk about uh, most people kill people within their race, but this guy killed anybody, and mm-hmm. it really didn't matter. And so... Um You did not discriminate. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life. So it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain,
1: like learning a new language or taking power naps. But there's also BetterHelp
2: online therapy. Now, we are huge advocates for mental health here at Fruits HQ. Oh, yes. And we have both used therapy throughout our lives, including BetterHelp. And especially in these past several years to help us deal with challenging times, Mm -hmm. challenging thoughts, feelings, and experiences. Amen. Yes. And uh, now, I had a recent you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying, sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't yeah. have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So
1: Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So
2: Oh, yes. And it is much
1: more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at Better betterhelp.com slash fruit. That's betterhelp.com slash fruit. Today's episode is brought to you by
2: Best Fiends. It was a night like any other. We just finished a live show of the podcast at Madison Square Garden. It was nice <laughs> to see Megan and Harry. You know, so nice of them to come. Then we told the pilot, hey, gas up the PJ. We out of here. <laughs> Wait, gas up the PJ?
1: Megan and Harry? shh. <laughs> Just go with it, okay?
2: Okay, okay.
1: So, Wendy, we gassed up the PJ, and then what? Well, (laughs) while we were
2: on the PJ, that's private jet for regular folks. I was wondering. We we were up in the clouds, scoring some quality time with Best Fiends. It was incredible. And the good news is, I'm on level 393. Right on. (laughs) Yes, it sounds incredible.
1: But if Mm -hmm. your head's in the clouds like Wendy in an imaginary (laughs) private jet with Megan and Harry, or your feet are firmly planted on the ground, ground at work or in line at the grocery store.
2: One thing is true, Best Fiends is just playing fun. Mm, It is true. Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can customize
1: your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs.
2: I'm sorry, I was just looking at this funny text from (laughs) Harry. Anyway, power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. With offline play, Wendy's
1: favorite, Mm -hmm. you'll never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection download your
2: favorite getaway best fiends for free today on the app store or google play you'll even get five dollars worth of in-game rewards when you reach level five that's friends without the r best fiends he didn't discriminate no uh, but he still left a lot of people in um his wake which is really unfortunate because mm-hmm. um it's, it's sad very sad yeah mm-hmm In 2016, murder charges were filed against Alcala in the cold case murder of a young woman in Wyoming nearly four decades ago. It was one of the photographs of the women found with the personal belongings of Rodney Alcala that helped link him to the 1977 killing of Christine Ruth Thornton.
1: Police believe Alcala killed 28-year-old Thornton of San Antonio, Texas during the summer of 1977 and disposed of her body in a remote area northeast of Granger in rural southwest Wyoming. Human remains found by a local rancher in 1982 weren't identified as Thornton's until 2015. Though evidence wow. located at the scene was dilapidated, it was determined that the woman had been a murder victim.
2: Thornton's sister, who had been searching for her since 1977, when she disappeared, was looking through Alcala's photographs that had been made public in 2013 when she recognized Christine. She contacted authorities and submitted her DNA to a national database for missing and unidentified persons. And in 2015, the DNA was matched to the remains discovered in Wyoming. That's good. Yeah. Investigators in Sweetwater County determined the
1: photograph of Thornton in Alcala's possession was taken a short distance away from where her remains were found. They say they have also turned up additional evidence in their investigation that links Alcala to Thornton's death.
2: Former detective Stephen Mack, who worked on Huntington Beach's 2010 case against Alcala, believes it's highly likely that more of the photographed women were murdered, I have absolutely no doubt that there are other victims, he says. He had a gift of the gab that worked with the girls, explained Mac. I think the average guy, and I consider myself an average guy, okay, (laughs) you see an attractive girl in a bar and you probably won't talk to her because you think she'll shut you down. Well, he wasn't afraid of talking to anyone. He could talk them into posing for his photographs and it worked over and over. His ability to evade convictions
1: has often been attributed to his unusually high IQ. But Mac thinks he just got lucky. I had a conversation with him once, he says. And he's got a high IQ, according to everyone. But I don't think he's as smart as he thinks he is. He wrote a book called You the Jury, and I read it, or tried to, and it made absolutely no sense. It was just a lot of rambling. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, um, isn't that... Sort of what you find with dudes who think that they have high IQs or people who think they have IQs is they just, um, they never answer the question. They ramble, ramble, ramble and um, evade, obfuscate. I mean, it's almost like politicians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I guess to an, a regular person, that might sound intelligent. Um, but yeah, me, maybe they get con- they
1: confuse and people, stupid. and they're like, "Oh, he must be smart because I don't understand what he's saying." When he, yeah, you're just, right. They're you're just right. Uh, speaking nonsense.
2: Yeah, you're right. I mean, lawyers do that a lot. Doctors yeah. do it a lot, and I don't know if they do it intentionally. Like, look, I know you paid a bunch of money for school and you went to a lot of years of school, but like. This is unnecessary. Like, yeah. please just tell me about, like <laughs> the basics. Stop, <laughs> uh, Stop acting like an asshole. You uh, yeah, <laughs> You don't sound any smarter. Stop being an asshole. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, no, no mas. Um, <sighs> so, are we? Uh, uh, other women suspected to have become Alcala victims include 19 year old Pamela Lamson from San Francisco. She disappeared in 1977 after telling friends she was meeting with a photographer. Police say they have no DNA evidence to go on, but witness descriptions convincingly match Alcala's profile. Likewise, police in Seattle are convinced he was behind the deaths of two teenage girls, Antoinette Whitaker, 13, oh no, and Joyce Gaunt, 17, in 1977 and 1978. But again, without sufficient evidence for a conviction, We're kind of stuck. Yeah. Yeah. So where are they now? Take it away, Beth. So Alcala
1: is now on death row at California State Prison in Corcoran. And in 2010, police released parts of Alcala's portfolio, as we said. They released it to the public to aid in victim identification. And the photos are still available to view. Over the years, oh, a few have stepped forward to reveal their horrifying moment with this predator.
2: Oh, my. Uh, since releasing the photos, police have released or, or received hundreds of calls and have looked closely at more than a dozen cold cases across the country. Cynthia Libby, the young smiling girl in photos numbered 111, 185, and 193, can only wonder why she survived her meetings with Alcala and count her blessings that she did oh yes ma count those blessings yeah uh during a recent interview with the police a detective put his arm around me and said quote unquote i'm glad you're still with us she says for the first time i really realized how lucky i was Um, so now we 're going to get into what we think made mr alcala aka the dating game killer snap. So what do you got? What are your thoughts Beth
1: well uh he was a sexual predator um i don 't really know um much about his early life so i don't I can only speculate but uh he was unusual in that he did not discriminate as we mentioned. He attacked both women and girls, and he had a collection of pornographic photographs of teenage boys that he took himself. So uh, Mm -hmm. there may be some male victims out there as well. Um, And many, many killers have a type like Bundy, who killed adult women, and he liked women Mm -hmm. with straight brown hair, parted in the middle. He Mm -hmm. was very specific about his type. Uh, Bundy did kill a 13-year-old girl. Uh, but she was his last victim and that was when he was in Florida after he escaped from prison and he was kind of right. on a frenzy and I don't think he mm-hmm. attacked her because the, uh, because he she was his type. She, he attacked her because the opportunity presented itself and not because he stalked her, which uh, was his usual MO. Anyway mm-hmm. um, I was reading a study about different types of sexual predators and they differentiated between what they called child sex, sexual abusers, basically pedophiles, and uh, ordinary rapists. Uh, the difference being that pedophiles actually have a sexual preference for children, whereas just plain old rapists don't. But they're they're not mm-hmm. above it, <laughs> like Bundy, you know. Though if yeah, if they find the opportunity, um, but but they have a uh, they don't have a sexual preference for children. Um, they they referred to offenders who did not seem to have a type as crossover offenders or indiscriminate offenders, and this is what Akala appears to be, according to that study. Findings indicate that crossover offenders report childhood histories of both violence and heightened sexuality. Um, They were less likely than child sexual abusers to be sexually abused, but they were more likely to report early sexual experiences with peers before age 10, which just blows my mind, to have witnessed sexual abuse as a child and to have had more frequent exposure to pornography before age 10. Similar to child sexual abusers, 58% of crossover offenders reported an early onset, that is before age 11, and high frequency of masturbation. A great majority of crossover offenders, 81%, disclosed engaging in bestiality during childhood in comparison to Mm. fewer child sexual abusers, 59%, and rapists, 30%. -hmm. With respect to Mm -hmm. childhood violence... Both crossover offenders and rapists described childhood experiences consistent with physical and emotional abuse. However, crossover offenders were exposed to domestic violence significantly more than rapists. Uh, Results indicated that parental violence and bestiality were strong predictors of crossover offending. And I have to say, I am totally shocked at the amount
2: of bestiality reported that just uh... it's a, that's a that's a pretty big number but but i feel I feel more for the young people who feel like they have no choice but to engage in bestiality um a couple of things I wanted to just say in response so pedophiles my understanding is pedophiles um are attracted to young children sexually. But yes. Pedophiles actually, d- my understanding is they don't believe that they're hurting children, that they believe that they are engaging in loving acts and relationships with children. Right. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was um, I think uh, we are doing our children a disservice by removing sex education from schools. Um, children, I don't I don't know if you remember how your kids were when they were little but m- my kids are you know younger than 10 and weird things are happening to their body and some some things are feeling certain ways and doing certain things and I, I think by not shaming kids um for having these you ha- you have an erection it's okay. It's normal. You are totally normal. It's normal. You, if you want to, if you want to touch yourself, totally cool. Best to do it in private though. Um, I, you know, uh, you know what your vagina, no big deal. You want to, you want to mess around with it. Totally cool. It's very special place, very private place, but don't do it in public. You know what I mean? Like we just, I feel like we just have to have a conversation about how valuable these parts are with young kids which is really uncomfortable and really difficult but if we don't um and i think that um the shame really really
1: screws with with our heads
2: it really screws with our heads and it leads to it really leads to this fucked up shit fuck up wiring (laughs) in your head so 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 what older conservative white people are like it's the pornography in the movies that's making our kids do this stuff no it's you not having a conversation with your kid early enough about what his his or her body is doing what it means and what he or she can do about it or where she can go if she doesn't know what's going on right it, obviously that's not you. so the problem is you not the pornography that's right. all i'll say um uh, i just this is just one of my hot button issues, so uh, I, I'm. I'll get. A, you can message me in the, in the discussion group. I have lots of feelings about um, <laughs> talking to young kids about sexual health. I was. I was. So my dad's a pastor, and I would be in Sunday school, like you know, like seven years old, like, but is masturbation really wrong? Like, like asking these questions of my Sunday school teacher and they'd be like sweating. (laughs) And then they, and then they'd tell my dad about the the fucked up shit I was asking during Sunday school, but I had legitimate questions and these people wouldn't answer them for me. Um, And uh, I don't know. Thank yeah. goodness for books and movies. Cause otherwise I wouldn't have known anything. Nobody talked to me about this stuff. So, yeah, um, which is pretty common. We need to, we need to just have open conversation, just, just like we do about race. Right. We have to talk about all these really uncomfortable things so we can fix the terrible things that result from not talking about it. So right. anyway, a tangent, but <laughs> let's have some more conversation. Shall we? Even with the littlest among us. Okay. Um, what I think made him snap Sorry to respond. <laughs> My response to your <laughs> response was so long. I'm sorry. I don't want to be disrespectful, but um, so we, so we mentioned in the last episode that his dad left his family for a time. And I think that um, uh, the trauma of his father leaving, um, he moved from Mexico to the United States and then back, or or he, he had like a big transition from, two nations which is difficult perhaps there was some bullying involved feelings of abandonment um he was in the military that did not go so well for him um so i don't know i'm only guessing but i think a combination of all those things of rejection and abandonment might have contributed to um why he was so messed up in that.
1: yeah and we really don't know what happened um when he did come back to the states with his mom we really don't know what happened mm-hmm. um did mm-hmm. she remarry was that person violent you know we don't know we don't know that's Um, true we don't know
2: only only speculating
1: yeah the psychologist um when he was in the army said there was no trauma but again um he's going on um what Alcala is telling him so you know he could have left all that out who
2: knows I don't know yeah yeah, that's true. That's true. So we will never know. But if you guys have any opinions, you know where to get at us. Yep. Um, so now, <laughs> now we are going to get into our takeaways. What we thought of the story. Um, I will say that I believe his arrogance is astounding. Like Zodiac killer status, the dude went on TV to find a date and won the date. <laughs> but he killed. He he also had like killed people. Like killing a, people a, in like, between. In, yeah about killing people in between that's crazy and then the trial was so wild the fact that he was questioning himself and changing up the voices is <laughs> goddamn ridiculous and then he played the crazy ass music at the end of the trial that made him look even more crazy it's just and and it was like he thought that would help his case yeah that's uh, that's another uh, that said his, his
1: iq wasn't so high <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. So what do you think, Beth? <laughs> um so uh using the photographs for investigation purposes, I think, is really interesting and similar to what they're doing with the drawings of Samuel Little, although Alcala was Oh right. He, Alcala has definitely been less cooperative than Samuel Little, because Samuel Little actually drew the pictures for him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Alcala's like, I didn't do
1: nothing. I don't know those ladies.
2: <laughs> right.
1: And I saw I saw him getting compared to Bundy a lot. But in my opinion, he was way worse than Bundy. And I think that Uh a lot of people are fascinated by Bundy because he was one of the first cases that we heard about like this. And he got Mm -hmm. a lot of media attention. Um, Plus, he spilled the tea, as it were. Like if you watch the Ted Bundy Mm -hmm. tapes, you know, he was he was pretending like he was talking about somebody else. But he was talking about himself. And uh, that's right. Yeah. And well, he was he was white, too. So there's that. Um, But my biggest (laughs) takeaway is that uh, this was all a game to Rodney Alcala. The murders, escaping, hiding in plain sight, all the way down Mm -hmm. through the three trials and representing himself in the last trial and messing with Robin Mm -hmm. Samso's mother um which he seemed to really really uh relish enjoy yeah oh and his yeah. suits against the california penal system um i think mm-hmm. manipulation should be his middle name <laughs> he was having a hey, great so, time yeah
2: rodney manipulation alcala <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, and i think yeah. he would probably love to get some more Press and and to to be able to get another trial or something so he can fuck with people some more.
2: Well, he he needs to come on our show. (laughs) (laughs) I was
1: thinking he should spill the tea like Ted Bundy.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, like an that would get him a lot of press. Yeah, that would get him a lot of press, and Mm -hmm. then they could do a whole like series about it. Yeah. Yeah. So spill
1: the tea, Rodney.
2: Spill the tea, Rodney. I'm thirsty. (laughs) So, now we are going to get into the part of our show where we're talking about how not to get murdered. I mean, murdered. So... If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer but in my mind, this is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips.
2: So my tip is that, uh, warn the young women and girls and men in your lives about how predators operate. When I moved to LA, um, to pursue a career in entertainment, people were always like telling me you're young and you're pretty and people are going to prey on your hopes and dreams and I thought they were just saying that because they didn't believe in me and like they didn't really think that I would could could make it and so I was like fuck you guys you're full of shit (laughs) but it's it's true that like photographers and producers will do this fuck shit and like do pretend auditions and get girls to do and commit to things. Harvey Weinstein is one. I was never in a Harvey Weinstein uh, vicinity, but really powerful people in the entertainment industry will do that and take advantage of the fact that you want to be a star and that you are willing, you know, they say you got to do, you got to do whatever it takes. And so, you know, when you're faced in this situation, like, well, he says he just wants to see my boobs, and then he says he just wants to touch them. <laughs> so, but it's I, I got to do whatever it takes. So, you know what I mean. So that's awful. you're you're not thinking. Um. So, uh, if you are going to a job, um, in an audition, you should let people know where you're going. You need to know. Uh, let people know what you're auditioning for and who you are auditioning with. Um, you can take a friend with you sometimes. Maybe another friend who's you know, going up for the same role or in the same, you know, another friend, another singer friend or actor friend who might also fit the description. Like bring them along with you, um, so that you have another set of eyes to, to and another person to help you. Um, Google the gig and the people that are involved to make sure that they're not a scam. If it is a scam, um, chances are the internet knows about it. Um, give uh, this is another tip. Give your kids a code word when it comes to their safety. Um, so that in case someone tries to offer them candy or a ride, if the code word is not uttered by this trash ass person offering them this stuff, uh, then they're not to be trusted. Uh, and then the kid knows to go to seek help. Also have code words when you go out with your girlfriends. Uh, if you go someplace together, you all leave together. Um, I just heard today on the news two. uh, resources, their apps for sexual assault victims. One is J Doe, D-O-E, and Callisto, C-A-L-I-S-T-O. They are online databases connecting sexual assault victims to lawyers, law enforcement, and inform- information to help them navigate the situation. Um, and uh, I think Callisto will even notify the Title IX office on your on. Uh, the nearest university campus Wow! and so what's cool about these databases if if there's a if there's multiple complaints about one person the database will will, will be able to capture that oh wow uh and highlight it and 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 law enforcement can go and target that um individual That's right really away cool. so um yeah. And it's anonymous um, initially. Uh, so you don't have to be worried about like the shame that comes with having to report, you know, being a, a victim. Um, and uh, you know that you will be supported um, by all the resources that these two um, databases and apps will be able to provide. So I just wanted to shout those out. J. Doe and Callisto.
1: Wow. Those are great tips. Thanks, Wendy.
2: Hey, you got it, Beth. Now we're going to get into the part of our show where we talk about serial killer or crime news. So take it away, Beth. So this is an interesting
1: story. Uh, James Hart Stern, who's 54, is the new president of the National Socialist Movement, a group whose members wear uniforms reminiscent of those worn in Nazi Germany, celebrate Adolf Hitler and organize public rallies across the country. And guess what? He's black.
2: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you serious? Yes, this isn't a joke, right? No, this is okay. not a joke. Uh, uh, okay. So
1: it used to be the president was a white guy, white dude named Jeff Shope. Um, and for weeks, the change in power had confounded those who study hate groups and perplexed those within the organization. Uh, they had heard nothing mm-hmm. from Jeff Shope the white guy who uh, led the Detroit-based organization for 24 years. Uh, but paperwork to set the change in motion was filed in January, but neither man publicly addressed the organizational changes until last Friday. Okay. And then in a lengthy statement to his followers, Shope wrote that he had been deceived by Stern who convinced me that in order to protect our membership from an ongoing lawsuit, I should sign over NSM's presidency to him. So this all happened because Shope's organization is being sued over what happened at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Shope was complaining about how that was an albatross around his neck and, uh, There are differing accounts as to what exactly happened. Shope says that Stern tricked him. Stern says it was an agreement that they both came to. But in any case, the group has been handed over to Stern, the black dude. And Stern's first move as president was to ask a Virginia judge to find the organization culpable of conspiring to commit violence at the deadly Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville in 2017.
2: Oh, my God, I have the biggest smile.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They had previously denied all responsibility. Next, he plans to transform the hate group's website, visited by millions of white supremacists each year, into a space for Holocaust history lessons
2: oh my gosh oh my god this is beautiful I know this man needs a statue right now he could use a hip hop air horn (laughs) he could and guess what he's gonna get it as soon as my phone cooperates (laughs) oh my god that is so dope so
1: the last part is uh something that stern said he said i did the hard and dangerous part he told the washington post as a black man i took over a neo-nazi group and outsmarted them
2: i'm worried about his life though yeah he's got a target on his back for sure and those we we know that those hate groups don't play violent so let's 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 add Put him on Stern the to the list, prayer list. For sure. Yeah, so yeah. That, that that he is protected in his work for good and for change and for progressive ideas and equity and all the things man i am oh my god i was i was worried that it was going to be a really sad story when you talked about the kkk (laughs) i was was like well black history month already sucks, so i guess march is gonna suck too
1: (laughs) i thought i'd bring a a fun story to the table this time instead of a really sad one like i usually do (laughs) Oh,
2: that was so beautiful Thank you so much. Okay. Well, I guess I'm going to come with the sad news. Um, I just wanted to mention this Jesse Carrea story. Um, she was a young Boston woman who went out with her friends on her birthday and she met a man at the club and, uh, she left with him. Um, she was never seen again. Her body was found in the man that she left with in his trunk. um, the thing is, though, she has a two year old daughter, and I wanted to shout out the GoFundMe page um, to help this two year old surviving daughter. And so I'll link it up in the show notes. So don't let me forget sad. that. Um, yeah. So it is really sad, but there's a two year old girl who needs um, community support. And so if if you can, are willing, um, why not donate to this girl's future because she no longer has her mama? So, right. um, sorry to bring the house down. Now we're going to get into. Uh, <laughs> Our shout-out section. This is where we shout-out content by people of color, any minorities, LGBTQ, uh, or any true crime goodies. So, um, oh, looks like I'm first. Uh, So, I... I shout out the uh, documentary on HBO. It's called say her name. It's the life and death of Sandra Bland. I don't know if you recall Sandra Bland was the woman who was pulled over by a Texas Ranger. Um, and he pulled her over for failing to signal a lane change. Uh, then he for ordered her to put her cigarette out, told her to stop, um, getting, snippy with him uh pulled her out of her car physically uh handcuffed her put his knee in her back uh arrested her um for quote-unquote assaulting a police officer and then she was found hanged in her cell by a garbage bag um so um the uh, the documentary will make you very angry but uh hopefully it also ignite um the social justice warrior in you um because uh that should have never happened. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it happens. Um, it's, it's not like she was the first or she was the last. So, uh, the other thing I wanted to shout out is, uh, we got a lovely, um, Facebook friend Val recommended Thunder Bay. I started listening to it last night and I haven't been able to stop. Um, it's an excellent podcast about the murders of indigenous youth in Canada. Um, it is wild. What's crazy is it's getting crazier and crazier to me that white people, especially in Canada. I don't know why Canada is so behind on the racism tip, but uh, they refuse to see racism or hate crimes for what they are. I mean, I'm listening to the white people being interviewed and they're like, it sounds like some Indians were just uh, hanging out, drinking too much. And uh, they uh, like got uh, killed. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it was racism. I just think that it was just, uh, they got killed. Like, uh, uh, sir, uh, (laughs) it definitely (laughs) was racism. Uh, So for whatever, whatever the reason these youths were killed, given, um, Thunder Bay is apparently it's the most dangerous place in the country for indigenous people. Wow. And, uh, that's, that's a very, uh, impressive statement. Uh, yeah. you, you can't ignore that. So, uh, no one, but nobody is doing anything about it. So I'm really glad that this, um, podcast is shedding light on, um, the indigenous peoples of Canada, the, um, tragedies that are occurring to them. And we all know, um, that throughout Canada and United States, Indigenous peoples, um, especially Indigenous women, have been d- disappearing, and nobody is saying anything about it. Nobody is doing anything about it. And maybe this this podcast will be um, just um, just salty enough that it will get people to move. So, and and there needs to be podcasts about this about what's going on to the Indigenous women in the United States as well, because yeah. Yeah. it's not just happening in Canada. So, anyway, just wanted to shout that out. It's good stuff. All right. So
1: um, I have a recommendation for uh, related to this episode. Um, there's a podcast okay. called uh, Routing Out. R-O-U-T-I-N-G. Mm-hmm. Routing Out. Um, I found two different channels and I think it's the same podcast. Um, but the episodes are old. Um, the, one, the ones okay. I'm recommending are actually from 2013. Um, But in the in these episodes, yeah, in these episodes, the host interviews a friend of Jill Parentos, who was one of the victims of Rodney Alcala. Uh, Her name's Nancy. Mm -hmm. Um, They had been friends since grade school. And she talks about growing up in the 60s and the 70s. Jill, Jill's murder and Alcala's multiple trials from her perspective. Uh, The first episode Mm -hmm. In a series of six episodes, it's called Revenge of the Ridiculousness, Healing Through the Absurd. So um, if wow. you're interested in that, uh, I suggest you listen to those. They, they were really
2: good. Okay, we'll link it up in the show notes. Don't worry. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then also I'm going to shout out Preet Bharara's podcast again. Stay tuned with Preet. (laughs) 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 But specifically his latest episode from February 28th, he talks about uh, the Michael Cohen testimony for a good while. And then he interviews Brian
2: Stevenson. We've talked about Brian Stevenson before on the on on this podcast. He's he he specifically uh, defends people on death row. Right. Uh, I was going to
1: say right? he's a civil rights attorney who represents prisoners on death row. <laughs> but you are hey. ahead of me there. <laughs> so oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> so his Equal Justice <laughs> Initiative is a nonprofit law firm based in Alabama and is dedicated to challenging racial injustice and ending mass incarceration. And it was a really good episode. So I wanted to shout that out.
2: Thank you so much. I am going to listen to it probably tonight while I'm brushing my teeth. All right. (laughs) I'll be brushing my teeth for a whole 60 minutes. (laughs) So um, where can the people find us, Beth?
1: Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App, which you can download to your phone. Or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help.
2: That's right. Now, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there.
0: Come play with us. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Maholovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today, wherever you get your favorite shows.